Thank you for joining me, everyone, for this week's edition of the Sabbath School Commentary. I have the privilege this week of spending a bit of time with you sharing some insights from this week's lesson in hopes that it will help you prepare in your studies for Sabbath School this week and help you if you're a teacher who's delivering uh, a class this coming Sabbath. I'd like to have a word of prayer to get in before we get into the scriptures today. Our Father in heaven, please send us the Holy Spirit who inspired holy men of God to, to speak and to communicate and to testify of your salvation. just want to ask God that uh, you will guide us into all truth and that you will bless my words and my thoughts and be a blessing. Use me to be a blessing to my church family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sunday's lesson is entitled To Love God, and it focuses on primarily Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And so I'll just read this passage of Scripture real quick before I share with you my comments on Sunday's lesson. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. And I'll stop right there. If love can be commended, it has to be more than a feeling. God commanding Israel to love him completely indicates that love is an intelligent commitment to the principles of righteousness and not a mere human emotion. Love cannot be forced, but it can be commanded and instructed. In the book of Deuteronomy, God persistently tells his people that keeping his commands, his laws, and his statutes statutes is for their good. That's in Deuteronomy 4, 1, 6, 2, 8, 1, 10, 13, 11, 8, and 9. God's commands are expressions of his love, and they bless the people who keep them. So when we choose to love God through hearing him and applying his words, we're blessed ourselves. Loving God is loving your own life and keeping his commands is allowing him to love and guide you. This is what we learn from Deuteronomy. I mean, we learn a lot from Sunday's lesson, but this is what I want to highlight for you this week from Sunday's lesson. Now, turning to Monday, which was entitled to Fear God, which points our attention to an interesting passage that I coincidentally studied this week in my personal devotional time. Before this quarter began, I was already having my personal time of study and devotion to God in the book of Deuteronomy. And this morning, and actually for the last three days, I've been studying Deuteronomy chapter 10. And verses 12 and 13 stuck out to me. And this week's lesson highlights what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 10, Verses 12 and 13. Once again, the lesson is entitled to fear God. Now, let me read these two verses of scripture for you. Now, Israel, 
What does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, this is interesting. The passage says to love and fear God. This is interesting. So, what does it mean to fear God? And how can you love God and at the same time be afraid of Him? Well, the text is really self-explanatory. It's not telling us that we should be afraid of God, you know, who He is. It's saying that we should fear in the sense that we should regard Him and we should respect Him appropriately, right? So, keeping His commandments is an expression of fearing God. Doing what's right in God's sight is an expression of fearing God, of being in awe of Him. In Exodus chapter 20, we see the Israelite nation who had recently been saved in the presence of God at the mountain. And the mountain is on fire and God is speaking. And the people are terrified when they hear the voice of God. And they rush to Moses and they say to Moses, you talk to God and then you communicate to us because we're afraid if we keep hearing his voice, we're dead. And so um, there's a verse in, in, in chapter 20, in verse 20, where God says, or Moses says on God's behalf, don't be afraid for God has come down and spoken to you so that his fear may be in you. Aha! So that you could see, as you should see, the greatness and glory and majesty of God. And so to fear God is not to be afraid of the person who he is, or the person he is. It's to respect what he is and who he is properly. Okay, and there's more than that, more than, more can be said, but that's what I'll say. To fear God is to respect him to the point of obedience. It is to hate evil, Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, and Proverbs 8, 12. Love, the fear of God, and obedience to his commands are the threefold cord that defines a real relationship with God. Jesus related to God or kept humanity's part of the covenant between God and man perfectly. This is why the new covenant is based on better promises. It is based on promises kept. The Israelites were slaves and commanded to remember that fact, Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15. We too were born slaves, dead in trespasses and sin. Jesus said, that whoever commits sin in John 8 is a slave of sin. Yet we have been freed from sin slavery by the grace of God, just as the Israelites were lifted or freed out of Egyptian slavery. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it delivers a potent message that helps us understand why we should revere or fear God. He has done something that deserves our respect and that proves his allegiance to and love for us. 
It also proves his commitment to our welfare and inspires love and confidence. Now, I just want to read that passage just real quick, as quick as I can. And we'll just, I'm just going to read it and then make a couple, just a couple remarks, a couple statements about that. So Ephesians chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 10 as fast as we can. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of the world. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So Jesus succeeds where the human race has failed. And he, as creator, recreates through the acts of redemption the whole human race so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. We can't boast because it's the gift. And it was done, like salvation was accomplished without us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 describes the recreation process. You know, in non-specific, I don't want to say non-specific terms, but, but in non-comprehensive terms, we have just read about God's plan of redemption. How he, by his grace, raises us up together with Jesus, even though we were dead in trespasses and sins. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. He saves us in the person of his son, and we can be saved by that grace through faith. This passage helps us understand why we should revere or fear God. He has done something that deserves our respect and proves his allegiance to and love for us, as I said before. It also proves his commitment to our welfare, right? He died for us while we were dead in trespasses and sins, and it inspires us to love and confidence. Now, Revelation chapter 14, 7, the lesson points out, is part of God's last message to the world. It's given in a setting of almost universal disregard for God's law of love. Interestingly, it's a call to fear God. This call indicates 
that as the world's love grows cold through iniquity and sin, our love for God is to grow stronger. We are to combat the darkness with more light, the sin with more righteousness, and the deception with more truth. We are not to fear men who can only destroy the body, but afterwards cannot destroy the soul. But we are to fear, to revere, to love, and respect the God who destroys both body and soul in hell. The repugnance of the beast and its image in Revelation 13 can only be seen by those who see God for who he is and who truly respect him and his authority and by those who've truly seen their sinfulness in the light of his salvation. Tuesday's lesson is entitled, He First Loved Us, and it's based on 1 John 4 and verse 17, but the lesson does something really interesting. It walks us through a series of passages in in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4.37, Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, and 13, Deuteronomy 10, 15, Deuteronomy 23, 5, and 33, 3, which all describe God's love for his people and for their ancestors and for their children. it's, It's a comprehensive assessment of the fact that God loved, but he didn't just love with words. He loved with actions. And the lesson brings out how the book of Deuteronomy and 1 John 4, 4, 19, they complement because the book of Deuteronomy only calls God's people to love God as a response to the fact that God loved them first. The idea that God is love didn't begin in the New Testament. The book of Deuteronomy is rife with the testimony of the proof of God's love. God does not love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. He does not love us as we are. He does love us as we are. And his love inspires him to save and bless us. His love humbles us and then builds us up. Our love for God is only a response to his. He is the initiator of our relationship with him. Now, I'm just going to make some, some commentary here that relates to the subject of this week's lesson, but, but they may seem off topic to those who may not fully grasp them, but I'm going to share them anyways, okay? Now, in the Bible, God is always termed in the masculine because he is the ultimate initiator, the ultimate giver of life. The essence of masculinity is initiation. In comparison to God, everything is feminine. So we refer to him in the masculine. He has feminine attributes, of course. Women are also made in the image of God, meaning God is feminine too. But yet, we respond in the salvation process and play the feminine role of being the bride of Christ. Our love for God is a response to his love for us. We love God because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. True love is shown most when the object of its affection 
is at its worst. The realization of this is what inspires true love in our hearts for God. Amen. Now, to Wednesday's lesson. If you love me, keep my commandments. One, two, three, four, five verses are pointed out from the book of Deuteronomy, which present this idea and this statement. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And I highly recommend that you dig into that day's lesson because there's so much more than what I'm going to share with you right now. Now, God loves us, but do we really love him? If we love him, we keep his commandments. If we do not keep his commandments, we are not loving him. A parent who professes to love a child, it abuses, or they abuse. A parent who professes love for a child, who they abuse, neglect, or disregard the welfare of, does not really love them, not in any meaningful way, not in any practical way. We may have a feeling of affection for God, But if we are unwilling to obey him, we don't love him in a real way. Similarly, when my children obey me, it is the paramount expression of love. This idea is all throughout the Bible. Hearers that do not do are self-deceived, according to James 1.21. Legalism is not obedience, guys. It is the idea that your adherence to the law of God recommends you to him. It is the idea that your law-keeping is the basis of your acceptance with God. Legalism is more of an attitude than anything else. It's a mindset that anyone, no matter how much they obey or disobey God, they can have it. We assume incorrectly that legalism is obedience. Although a law can be kept legalistically, it can also be kept out of love and appreciation. When we obey in the latter sense, we are relating appropriately to God. We are loving Him. And like we learned earlier in this lesson, we are allowing Him to guide and bless our lives. In Luke chapter 7, we learn of Simon the leper, who didn't respond properly to the love of God. And Mary Magdalene, who did. Jesus helped Simon through giving him a parable of two debtors. And then he concluded after that parable that the debtor who was most aware of their great debt was the one who would love God the most. He that is forgiven much loves much, but he who is forgiven little or recognizes little loves little. If you love me a lot, you'll want to keep my commandments a lot. If you love me a little, you'll want to keep my commandments a lot. Just a little. Thursday. The last day we're going to make commentary on in this week's lesson. And it's just entitled, The First Commandment. All I want to say about this week's, this day's lesson, it's a great lesson and I encourage you to check it out. Is that it, it, it points out that Jesus, his teaching was consistent with the teaching of the Old Testament. The Old and New Testament are not disconnected in what they teach, but rather, properly understood, the Old Testament theologically is communicating what Jesus did and what the New Testament apostles did. And I'll just read um, just the first paragraph, just 
It's, it's great. The less the way, the lesson brings it out. However much some Christians, for various reasons, seek to separate the Old Testament from the New, it can't be done. At least not without all but denuding the New Testament of its true meaning. The New Testament, in its revelation of Jesus and its theological explanations of his life, death, and resurrection, and high priestly ministry, points to the fulfillment of many of the Old Testament prophecies and types. In many ways, the Old Testament forms the background, the context, the basis for the New. Both Testaments reveal the goodness and love of God. This is all true. We can say amen. I've heard it said that the Old Testament is the New Testament in embryo. Or the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so the lesson talks about Mark 12, 28-30, where a, law, a lawyer, or a, an academic scribe, or a, a theologian, approaches Jesus and asks him, what's the first and greatest commandment of all? And Jesus points to Deuteronomy 6 and its teaching. Our, our Lord, hear, O Israel, real, the Lord our God is one. And then, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Jesus affirms the the teaching and perspective of the Old Testament. Because Deuteronomy is just simply saying, I saved you because I love you. It had nothing to do with your works or your capacity or your ability. I did it for you. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. You're my children. I'm your father. I love you when you're lovable, and when you're not. And so I'm going to save you from slavery. And if you want, you can follow me to the promised land. And here are some commands. These commandments are life. These commandments are for your good. They're for your blessing. They're for your benefit. If you keep these laws, if you practice these commands, you will be blessing yourself. You'll be blessing yourself. So, so please keep my commands because you love me, because you respect me, because you fear me, because you understand me. In Revelation 14, 12, God's last day people, the saints of God at the end of time, they love God and they keep his commandments. The Bible says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they which keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So you could rephrase that and say, at the end of time, the saints of God actually, truly, really love him. This is what the Bible is all about. So, church, do we see what God has done? Do we comprehend? Do Do we realize? And do we want to respond accordingly in love? Not not pretentiously with empty words, but actually with actions, with the the power of choice and the will that has been given to us by God. We don't have to follow God. We don't have to love God. We don't have to keep his commands. We don't have to move forward by faith into the promised land. But oh, he wants us to. He really does. My appeal to you, church, is to not just love God in words, but love him indeed. Because you know what? He didn't just love us with words. He loved us with everything he had. And he asks us to do the same. And when we do the same, it's not because he doesn't ask us to do the same just for his sake, because he gets something out of it. He asks us because we get something out of it. God bless you. God bless you, church. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the Sabbath School Commentary. 
Have a great Sabbath. We look forward to seeing you next week. Please share this podcast with anyone you think would be blessed and enriched and uplifted by this commentary. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.